following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. There's a pastor that sat down in his office. He knew that the time was coming when he was no longer going to be pastor at the church where he was serving. After all, during his days at the seminary, and this is common for those that prepare to become pastors, and even for those who have been pastors for a while, there's this phrase that a pastor is always trying to work his way out of a job. He is always preparing his people for the next guy. He's preparing his parish, his church, for, for when he's no longer going to be with them. And so it was only fitting that as he got to the ripe old age of 82 and sat down to write his farewell letter, he would also help the congregation prepare for that next pastor, but they wanted an elaborate job description. He had been there for such a long time, and so now that the new guy was going to come in and there was going to be this big change, what, did, what was he supposed to write as the job description? Well, let's say that this 82-year-old pastor, who had been at this place for a long time and was getting ready to retire and move away, Let's say he invited you to the table. He asked you to help contribute what should be the requirements of this church, where where you belong, some other place. You're going to sit down. What should go in that job description? A pastor must be, this incoming guy must have. We're looking for qualities such as, and he asks you to fill in the blanks. What would you say? Would you have a lot of things to say about his character? Like he must be nice kind, approachable, easy to talk to, he must care? Would you want to speak to some of the qualities and gifts that he must have, that he be able to preach in a compelling way? More than just telling stories that might have some meaning to it, he'd he'd be able to preach God's word accurately and faithfully. Would, Would you want somebody who you'd want to listen to? When it comes to teaching, that he'd be able to teach not only little kids and big kids, but also adults, middle ages, all the way up to the elderly? Is it that you'd want him to care to be able to visit people? You want him to know the difference between being uh, somebody who cares about all of the affairs of the church versus being in control of those things? Somebody who you would want to work with? Maybe you'd think of his characteristics. You'd hope for somebody that might be married or might have kids. Maybe you're thinking about how old or how young he should be. You're you're thinking in maybe long term, somebody who could come in and be there for a while. You don't want somebody who's some fly-by-night preacher who'd be there for a couple years, maybe less, and then move on. What is it that you would think about? What are the kind of things that you would want? You might even get so detailed as you're, you're hoping for somebody who looks a certain way, somebody who talks a certain way, maybe somebody who doesn't look a certain way or doesn't talk a certain way. What would you put down? I I don't know what you would think about. But you know who was thinking about that? The Apostle Paul was thinking about that. You see, here he was in Crete, and he's leaving it behind. It was never his goal that he was going to stay there to be the pastor, much less the pastor of all of these towns. And so they need a pastor to step in, and that's where Titus comes in. But before he solicits anyone's opinion and brings them to the table, so to speak, Before there's any discussion about these qualifications, 
he makes very clear as the apostle from the Lord Jesus, called by the risen Savior himself to serve God's church, he makes very clear not only what these qualifications are, a job description of sorts, but he makes very clear why. In fact, there's probably three different whys that go beyond the, and be behind even the, the what that he is after that help God's people see that when God sends pastors and he does send pastors, there are specific reasons for it. And it is for our good. And so although it might be a little awkward for a pastor to talk to his people, or for even a pastor to talk through a camera, through a screen to you, whether you're a member living savior or not, about what these qualifications are, let's call those awkwardnesses out for what they are so we can set them aside because God has some benefit in store for everybody, for you, for me, for all. And it starts this way, that when we think about what God's design is for ministry and why he puts pastors the, where he does, when we think about the qualifications and when we think about the job description, we can ask why, but let's first start with God. Whenever we think about the authority of the ministry, let's first start with God, because then we're going to get to the benefits as we ask the question why. How does this play out? Well, think of the first thing that Paul writes to, to Titus when he says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, when he speaks of these elders, he's using a word that is relatively equivalent to what we would think of as a pastor today. These would be spiritual leaders and overseers who would help guide God's people in God's word and with this faithful message of the scriptures. That is what he calls Titus to do. This is more than just an exercise of delegation. This is Paul calling Titus to help God's people to be organized in such a way so that they would have pastors. It's the way that God set it up. He didn't just scatter the word out there and say, you guys kind of figure out what you want to do. No, there's specifically going to be people who would be specifically called to share God's people with spiritual oversight. Now, the goal there, of course, is not that this would create a burden or a distraction. We'll talk more about that in a second. Not so that there would be some CEO or some boss. You don't see that anywhere in these words that were just shared. But rather that there would be a spiritual oversight for the benefit of God's people. This tells us something, not only that what God is designing, but also why. God has in mind and has always designed that there would be pastors in ministry. Not for any other reason except that the pastors would, would benefit from God's people, but that they would work together with God's people for the building up of the body of believers. You think of a passage like Ephesians chapter 4. It is Jesus Christ who gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to build God's people up, to prepare God's people for works of service. The whole goal then is not that there would ever be this view of ministry as the pastor at the top and the people down here but rather this collaboration and cooperation together. God will put pastors in positions to help encourage God's people with the word, to refute those who oppose it, 
to let this godly life be the forefront so that God's people would also let their godly lives be the forefront to the world. God's designed that there, God has designed that there would be pastors. Why? For the mutual edification of all people. He says, as I directed you. Paul knows as he goes from town to town and from island to island and from place to place in the Mediterranean world, that God's people need pastors. Pastors so that they can encourage, serve, and humbly build up God's people, even as they are mutually encouraged from God's people. There's another why, though. When we think about ministry, why does God do this? Well, first of all, for the building up of others, but also so that the godly life of the pastor would be exemplary for his people, for God's people. You think of that, think back to that setting I described earlier. If a retiring pastor was to invite you to the table and ask you to help fill out the job description for the new guy, the next guy that was going to come in to serve as pastor, think of some of the things you'd put down. When you think of qualities, you think of the character of that incoming person, there would probably, a, when, in other words, you think of a code of conduct, you would think of some of these things. But then again, isn't this true for any and all? Like whatever job it is that you have done in your life, whatever area of business or economics or blue collar work, whatever your setting might be, there's certain codes of conduct that you have. In fact, if those codes of conduct are broken, it disqualifies that person from being able to serve. And some of those codes of conduct that probably exist in your line of work, probably you find in this list here, faithful to his wife, Man whose children are not wild and disobedient, not quick-tempered, not overbearing, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. If some of those things do happen, well, that would disqualify somebody from being able to serve. Because how is it that someone could come to your work if there is somebody there who is losing their cool left and right? Somebody there whose children are ruining the place. There's a reputation that is assigned to and aligned with your place of work. And why would it be any different in the house of God, especially when somebody is called to be an overseer, a spiritual representative, not only from God, but also for God's people and also, importantly, to outsiders? Why would somebody come to hear God's word if the person who's sharing God's word doesn't actually follow God's word? Why is it that somebody would come to listen when the person who is speaking and preaching doesn't have God's word as first and foremost, but they would actually have their own dishonest gain. Dishonesty? That they would be after making a living out of this? Paul had seen this in his day. There were people in, in several places in the known world at that time. People whom he encountered who either infiltrated the ministry dishonestly or were there initially honestly, but then ultimately brought the ministry into disrepute because of their dishonesty. You think of some of the things that he writes at the end of Romans or the super apostles that he encountered in Corinth. These people were not after service. They, were, they did not have the ultimate eternal destination in mind, but only their temporary gain in their hearts. And it was seen in their actions. Imagine what that does to people who encounter God's word 
And God doesn't want anything to distract or detract from this trustworthy message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he calls his pastors, all of his people generally, of course, but specifically here he's talking about his, his pastors to lead lives like this. And you have to ask once again the question, why? It's not so that they can come across as better than everyone else. That's not the goal. The goal is all about Jesus. The benefit is that there would be nothing that would get in the way of God's people and growing in the word. And so the pastor is not only supposed to talk the talk, but also walk the walk, as we might say, when it comes to the message of holy living. And you might think to yourself, of all the times you might have seen examples where this wasn't the case, keep in mind there's no such thing as a pastor who is perfect, never has been, never will be. And certainly, if there is a track record of these things, that does disqualify, if, if there's grave examples of failure, that moral failure, certainly those are examples of disqualification. But Keep in mind the tendencies that go on in each and every one of our hearts when we hear such a code of conduct, a job description of sorts, qualifications for ministry. The easiest thing that can creep into our heads and in our hearts is this critical eye and even a condemning spirit towards absolutely everyone else. When maybe one of the first things that we should think about is that God calls all of us to live this way. And so the first thing that we should do is yes, Recognize he's talking about pastors here. But this code of conduct applies to each and every one of us. And so what's the main goal that, that God has in describing this? To lead each and every one of us to have a, a condemning spirit toward anyone who has maybe done one or two things that we might find to be sinful? Certainly sin is not permissive. Certainly he's not letting us make excuses. But what he is calling each and every one of us to do is to hold our godly life in the forefront of our lives so that it would not detract or distract from God's goal. His design is to keep that destination in mind as we've seen throughout this series, and that is to guide God's people in his word. And so God has designed that there would be pastors to help build God's people up. God has designed that our holy lives as pastors and as all believers but here he's talking about pastors would not detract or distract, but rather would be exemplary and help encourage God's people. And finally, and most importantly, this really governs it all, that God's word would be faithfully proclaimed. In fact, he says, he, the pastor, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. If you think about a job description, I don't think it is a stretch to suggest that if people were going to come up with a job description for a pastor, they might come up with a lot of things that are not the most important thing. Like I could think of asking a hundred people to give a job description for a pastor and they might put a lot of things down that are important, but they're not the most important thing. For example, I could think of people who would put down things like he must be able to communicate faithfully in a newsletter and administer certain things so that the facilities of the church and the building and grounds are taken care of well. You know what? 
that is not in any job description that I have seen in any of the pastors that I've encountered or my own. Doesn't mean that it's not important to us, doesn't mean that we don't care about those things, but it is not the most important thing. Some people might suggest that it is, but it's not. Another example, someone might think he's got to be able to relate well to the youth and he has to be able to put together great youth functions. Well, he should be able to care about the youth. And someone might say that's the most important thing, but it's not. It is an important thing, don't get me wrong, but it is not the most important thing. Another example might be that he has to be able to do or to be this type of person and to talk this kind of way and to be able to relate and to be able to be compelling and et cetera, et cetera. And those qualifications might be desirable and they might even be important. But are they the most important thing? No, they're not. And don't take my word for it. At the bedrocks, uh, save the best for last almost kind of thing here in verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This is the heart of it all, is it not? In order for a pastor to do those previous two things, to build up the body of believers, in order for a pastor to also lead an exemplary life, he must know what that looks like according to the sound doctrine and to refute others who oppose it to hold firmly to this trustworthy message. It's all about God's word. Encouraging people by sound doctrine, you know what that looks like? It looks like a pastor who says to you the things that God says to you. And do you think that that's always easy? I mean, look at it from your position, from, from a pastor's position for a second. When a pastor is called to be your pastor, you are asking him, you are signing up to have this relationship so that he would share God's word with you. And do you think that God's word applied to certain situations in your life is always going to be something that you want to hear? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes you're going to want to hear it. But sometimes you're not going to want to hear it. But guess what? God's design is that his word, it's not about the pastor. Don't make it a personality conflict when really the collision that's happening is sometimes sinful hearers not wanting to hear the sound doctrine and the refuting of certain aspects of the life that God has. Don't take it against the pastor when the pastor's doing what you asked him to do, and that is to share God's word. Sometimes, keep in mind, think from the position of the pastor for a second. Sometimes it is that a pastor can share God's word with people and people don't really want to hear certain aspects, not because it's the pastor, not predominantly because he may have said it in a, in a sharp tone, but predominantly because they haven't really fully understood that part of their heart and their life doesn't like part of God's word that they're hearing. And I think it's important to say that because it is for our good that those aspects of our life would be brought to light. And that's true not just for people in the pews, that's true for the pastor as well. So the, the whole goal is to hold firmly to the trustworthy message so that you can be encouraged by God's word. And also, even aspects of our life can be refuted when those who oppose sound doctrine would be refuted. And keep in mind that that happens, that there are parts of each and every one of us that don't like to hear parts of God's word, but sound doctrine means all of it. God's word, 
for our good. Uh, a steady diet of all the nutrients that we need, even if they might not always taste good, might be a helpful analogy. Now, I've asked you to think about it from the position of the pastor. It's only fair then that we would look at the flip side of that coin too. Think about it from your perspective too. When a pastor talks to you about God's word, it is God's design that that pastor would talk to you speaking the truth, but doing so in the most loving way possible, the most encouraging way that he can. That is exactly what God calls pastors to do. You, you see here, he, he uses the word encourage. Right there, there is this, this building up, this mutual uh, bonding that happens of sorts. The, the word is a, is a building word, but it's not that one person is doing it. It is that there's this mutual relationship that happens and the way that it happens is with God's word. And so I think it would be really challenging for God's people. In fact, I can say that I have seen it more times than I desire. Where God's people feel like they have not been encouraged. But the question is, have they been encouraged based on how they feel or by the facts of God's word? And so God calls this sound doctrine to be the, the bricks and the mortar. The, the thing that people are dealing together with, that they surround themselves with it as they work together to build one another up. And so as this encouragement of, with this encouraging with sound doctrine, and as this refuting of those who oppose it, as this happens, what is at the heart of it all? God's word. It is God's word. So does the pastor shares God's word, and as God's people hear it, the one thing that would receive all the focus and all the attention and all the care and all of the concern is God's word. And so oftentimes there's this question that has been raised. I, I got this from a, a wiser veteran, veteran pastor who's a couple decades older than me. He once said that if I can't have a conversation with somebody with God's word open, that relationship, he's speaking about being their pastor, is almost always destined to failure. And you know what? When you look at the words that Paul writes to Titus, I wonder if that's not true. That if God's people are called to keep God's word in the forefront, then the encouragement that we must always have is this relationship that must be built on God's word. Then that means we must keep in mind everything that tries to ruin that. All of the, the negative reactions, the knee-jerk reactions that happen from either God's people or pastors who don't want to have God's word open in front of a conversation. That is helpful when there are joyous occasions. You think of weddings and baptisms. What is it that makes those things so wonderful? It's God's word and the promises that he gives. That also is true when it comes to challenging moments. Think of a pastor who's counseling. Maybe it's a person, an individual. Maybe it's a, a couple through a, a challenging time. Well, what helps that? It's God's word. Or, or maybe it's a challenge. There's, there's hurt feelings. There was a, a circumstance that happened that caused people to grow farther apart as believers. Well, what is the thing that helps those people? It's God's word. So the question should always remain, can, can this trustworthy message remain in the forefront so that God's people can have a conversation about it? Because if there's something 
that is wrong between people, that God's word is up to the task. But if people don't want to have God's word open in front of them, well, then the problem isn't God's word. The problem might be the attitude towards God's word. The problem might actually be the, that the relationship is more about people and personalities than it is God's word. But that's not God's design. His design is, and always should be, that we would hold firmly to this trustworthy message. So you think of that pastor who's 82 and he invites you to the table and he asks, what should the job description be? You and I might think of a whole host of things, but maybe, maybe these three things would be at the forefront. Asking a question like, why does God want pastors in the first place? Appointing elders, as I directed you, is this unfinished task in, in Crete in order that God's people would have pastors to begin with. God designed it that way. Another one, somebody would lead an exemplary life so as not to create a distraction or to detract from God's word, but actually would help encourage people closer to it. That's God's design for everyone, but that's especially here, God's design for pastors. And then at the bedrock of it all, to hold firmly to this trustworthy message, to mutually encourage one another with sound doctrine, to refute those who oppose it, because everything must be based on God's word so that God's people would hear the clear forgiveness of Jesus, the unconditional gospel of God's grace, that they would know that a risen Savior lives, he lives in his word, and that is the one thing that guides us, sustains us, and prepares us for our eternal home. And so, when we think about the whys behind ministry, the job descriptions of a pastor, we, we do well to start with God. His design always has that destination in mind for our good now.